Welcome to Clear Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples and physicist Dave Rogstad. On today's podcast, how do Moses and Jesus compare? Ken will be taking a look at each as he provides apologetic insights. This is part one of two podcasts. Uh, hello, Ken and Dave. How are you guys doing today? Very good, Joe. It's good to good to see you here on screen. And uh, Dave, how are you feeling? I'm feeling really good today. Yeah, I'm uh, back to normal in a lot of ways, although I'm still happy to have the machine, uh, my walker, to keep me vertical. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right, Ken, what, what do we have in store for us? Yeah, what I'd like to do is... Um, I want to, in this first program, I kind of want to introduce people to Judaism. I think that there's a, it, it's possible there's a lot of misunderstanding by Christians as it relates to Judaism. Who, who are Jewish people and what do they believe? So I'm going to introduce some, some statistics. I'm going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, that Judaism is an ethnic identity as well as a faith. Give you some numbers in terms of worldwide Judaism and also the numbers of Jews in America and in Israel. And I even want to talk a little bit about the symbols and education. And then we'll kind of ease into a discussion of, uh, of Moses and Jesus. And, uh, you know, for those listeners of Clear Thinking that have read my book, God Among Sages, of course, in God Among Sages, I compare uh, Jesus with Krishna, Buddha, Confucius, and Muhammad. It's a little bit of a different fit here because obviously uh, Judaism, the Old Testament, the New Testament, they're God's word. And uh, so we have a, Christians have a different relationship, but uh, I think there'll be a, I think there'll be some controversial points. The three of us might not agree on all these points. So it's hopefully a good learning experience for our listeners. Wonderful. Okay. Well, let's hit it off. You mentioned uh, uh, Judaism in, in general and that you're going to provide some uh, uh, numbers for us and, and kind of an overview. I think that would be helpful. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me begin by giving you a quotation from Winfred Corgin. Uh, Win is a good friend, uh, has written a great book called Neighboring Faiths, which has a good chapter on Judaism. So, I'm going to recommend some books, both in this uh, this episode and in the next one. But this is what Wynn uh, has to say. And um, this actually comes from his Pocket Guide to World Religions. Nice little book to have. A lot of, lot of uh, information packed in the, that little volume there. This is what Wynn says. He says, being Jewish refers to an ethnic identity as well as a faith. And nowadays, there are many Jews who do not practice the Jewish faith, even though they are happy to be known as Jewish Jews ethnically and culturally. Now, now again, what's what's fascinating about you know that that kind of point is that uh, who is a Jew? Uh, is is a is a Jewish person Jewish because they're a member of the Jewish religion? Or is a person a Jew because they're part of a culture? Or are they? is it a race? It is an ethnic group? That's a little different than Christianity. Um, you know, if you say you're a Christian, 
uh, we immediately relate it to you. You have a religious orientation. Uh, we don't. We don't look at uh, Christian as you know a race or things of that nature. So that's that's kind of an interesting feature in uh, thinking about those kinds of things. So is it religion? Is it culture and race? And that's when that's when the discussion sometimes gets difficult because uh, I think a lot of us as Christians we kind of want to think about Jews and Judaism as if all the Jews living today believe exactly the way maybe the Jews did uh, at the time of Jesus. Um, and so, you know, we we want to raise questions like, well, you know, wh what about the temple? What about temple sacrifices? And uh, what about the Messiah? But uh, there is a very large percentage of Jewish people who are um, uh, who are secular. So let me give you some statistics here. This is from uh, the Jewish let me the JewishAgency.org. Uh, it's a it's a recent date, so we've got some we've got some current numbers. This is from September twenty fifth, twenty twenty two, and they say Jewish population rises to fifteen point three million worldwide, with over seven million residing in in Israel, uh, and they would add to that that. Um, uh, there are about 6 million Jews who live in the United States. So there's a couple things there I want to tease out. Um, this is a tiny religion. Uh, it's a tiny religion, but think of the influence that it's had. I mean, uh, we're talking 15.3 million worldwide. Uh, most of them, the large proportion of them in Israel and the United States, um, but think about some of the numbers for Christianity and Islam. Um, uh, the Pew report said by 2050, there'll be 9 billion people on the planet with 3 billion of them being Christian. Almost 3 billion will be Muslim. And then another 3 billion made up of religious and non-religious people. But compare 3 billion to 15.3 million. Mm -hmm. a, a tiny, a, a, a tiny religion. Uh, and, and again, Islam today, getting close to 2 billion, Christianity 2.2, 2.3. So those numbers will go up before we hit the, the mid part of the, our, our century. Uh, so that's a little bit about uh, the, the numbers and again, why I think they're important. How about symbols? Symbols, symbols really are important in Judaism. Uh, I'm sure everybody recognizes the Star of David, right? You've got the two triangles that are interweaved together. Uh, the Star of David is kind of the universal. Um, uh, it, it's it's in many ways what people think when they see it. They think of Judaism. They think of uh, the Jewish people. But that symbol doesn't have any direct connection to the religion. So oftentimes you'll see other symbols like uh, the seven-branch candlestick, or you may see the two tablets of the law. Those directly relate to religious Judaism. And uh, so again, just getting kind of a feel for some of these ideas. 
Now, I also want to bring up a point that I that I think is very important, uh, and and again, it kind of shows how Christianity and uh, and Judaism uh, are in fact uh, different, even though they share uh, a lot of uh, you know the scriptures and ideas about God, monotheism. Here is, a, again, Corsian talking about the major beliefs. He says, Judaism is a religion that emphasizes practices ahead of beliefs, though the practices are deeply embedded in a set of beliefs. Although there is no official formulation of the beliefs of Judaism, such as a creed, the following list displays that what Jews usually accept as true. And he makes, makes a couple points here. Let me pick up on the first two, that there's only one God. That's right at the heart of Jewish belief. Um, you could say that uh, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, ha has always been the Jewish creed, the Hebrew creed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So an orientation that there's only one God in the midst of the pagans. Uh, the Jews are emphasizing uh, one God, Yahweh, Elohim. Uh, the true God, the true God of the uh, of the Bible. Two, uh, here with Corjan concerning beliefs, this God has chosen one people, the Jews, to be his special representatives uh, on earth. And of course, he has a relationship with them, uh, and they have uh, a relationship with him and with other people and, and the nations. And Corzian says, at the end of the age, God will send a special person, the Messiah, who will preside over a time of peace and prosperity in the world. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, is a controversial idea, um, because Christians believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, that's, that's the title Christ. Uh, Greek Christos is uh, Greek for Messiah, uh, the anointed one. Uh, and so uh, Christians believe that uh, not only was Jesus a Jew, but he is the he's the Jewish Messiah. He's the Jewish Savior. And uh, what comes out of that, of course, is how does how come more Jews don't affirm him? And uh, what is the relationship between Christianity and Judaism? So we'll come back to that a little bit later uh, in uh this program in the next. Uh, let me make one more one more point because I, Dave, I want you to, I want you I have to. A question. Okay. So go ahead and make your point, and then I'll ask my question. Okay. Um, couple ideas here uh, with Judaism and Christianity. So think of these two sides of the coin uh, in Judaism, belonging is more important than values, and values is more important than beliefs. With Christianity, it's upside down. Christianity, it's beliefs, values, and then belonging. And so you see this idea that uh, Jews think about uh, their, their synagogue a little differently than Christians think about church. While we share a lot of values, Judaism has a, has a somewhat of a different relationship to values. And, and again, this kind of uh, belonging. And one more point, Dave, and I, I want 
you to comment on this. Uh, you can do it either before or after you ask your question. But I want to talk a little bit about uh, Judaism and the life of the mind, Judaism and education, Judaism and the STEM field, science, medicine, we'll throw in uh, law. Um, for a tiny religion, um, it has had unprecedented influences in certain areas. I mean, think of how many great scientists have been Jewish. Think about the fields of medicine. Uh, you have a small percentage of people that are Jewish, but they are very educated. They have a, a passion for the life of the mind. How many great lawyers have uh, have been Jewish? And to give you a couple uh, ideas here, um, if you'd like to look at the way some Jewish thinkers think about science and the Bible, uh, one recommendation I have is Nathan Aviezar in his book, In the Beginning, Biblical Creation and Science. Uh, he reasons a lot like Hugh Ross does in terms of, you know, modern cosmology supports the existence of God. So he, he is a Jewish thinker. Uh, he is a religious Jew. And then Gerald Schrader, um, his book, Genesis and the Big Bang, the Discovery of Harmony Between Modern Science and the Bible. Again, you have a, a little bit of a different uh, orientation, but this gives you a, a sense of the differing people, whether they're Messianic Jews or whether they're traditional Jews, uh, they've had a big influence uh, on on science. Dave, go ahead. I'm sorry to hold you up there. Oh, no, no. I just in reference to your your, your comments there, I happen to be uh, watching a series that was produced a few years ago called Genius. And it's, um, oh, it must be a six or 10 part series on the life of Einstein based on a biography written by, uh, I think it's Walter Isaacson. And uh, it's the thing that's fascinating in it is the the way in which uh, Judaism, Jewish physics, as it's called in Germany, versus uh, German physics, and and how the persecution of Jews uh, begins to develop, uh, you know, before World War One, and then into World War One, and into two, and it's the thing that's that's really amazing is the number of scientists who are in Germany and are key scientists who, who play a, a, a major role in the development of science. And yet you have people, other scientists who are not Jewish, who are e extremely anti-Semitic. There was one guy in particular, uh, Philip Lerner, who was in fact a Nobel Prize winner uh, back at that time, I think in the uh, early 20s or maybe the late uh, teens. And uh, he was so anti-Jewish that he could not accept the fact that relativity developed by Einstein could be a legitimate science. Wow. And yet some of the greatest work that's being done by scientists is being done by by Jewish scientists, Jewish physicists, cosmologists, and same thing is true today, of course. Uh, my question is, in the Shema, you have that statement, the Lord or God is one. And it, it doesn't say, well, one could 
have an understanding when it says he is one that it means he is one person right. and of course as a christian believing in a trinity he's not one person yeah. but yet we use so many i mean just the pronouns him we talk about god he yeah. it it communicates the notion of one person and i would like you to comment on you know how how does a jew deal with the idea that we're we're saying he's one god but not one person no that's a that's a great question and um i think it is important to focus on the shema uh if you if you think of it in terms of a biblical creed it is it is uh, you know known everywhere uh that you know this is a teaching of the old testament this is a uh a teaching of the jews i was listening interestingly enough um i was staying up a little bit late last night probably stayed up a little too late but i was watching michael brown now michael brown is a, a messianic jew um many people regard him as maybe the the leading uh apologists among messianic jews he debates uh secular jews he debates orthodox jews uh, he defends the idea that uh, jesus or yeshua is the is the messiah and dave i was uh, on youtube and there's one thing that's frustrating about youtube there's so many things to watch that you just kind of get where do i go from here they suck but you in. <laughs> they really do. Um, well, Michael Brown was quoting the Shema, and uh, he was quoting from a seminary theologian, a leading seminary theologian, who said, you know, wait a second here. Um, the Shema is not Trinitarian denying. Um, and I've seen a number of Jewish thinkers, not just Messianic Jews like Michael Brown, who we've interviewed, by the way, uh, on one of our previous podcast programs, been been some time ago. But uh, you know, the word Elohim is a plural noun, right. uh, and even the word one, Ahad, it's not a single solitary one. It's the it's also the the word that's used for Adam and Eve are one flesh. And so here is a Jewish scholar who's not necessarily friendly to Christianity. He's a traditional Jew. He's not a Messianic Jew. And he says, you know, this idea of the Trinity is compatible with the Shema. Interesting. Now, now that, of course, is, uh, I think, what what we as Christians think. We We don't think the Trinity just kind of gets made up in church history. We think that it has a biblical basis. Uh, I, it's certainly more revealed in the New Testament, but it's it it is there or at least allowable uh, in the old in the Old Testament. So um, you know, I think what we need to think about there is that there is a a diversity of persons within the unity, and uh, I I've asked rabbis that, and uh, I had one say, well, I don't take that interpretation, but yeah, I think it's you know it is allowable I so think interesting yeah. that 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 is a fascinating point now one thing i want to do joe and we can do this a couple times in the programs that we're we're doing on 
uh, Judaism and comparing uh, the great prophet Moses with the Messiah, Jesus. But I also want to recommend books that are written by Jewish thinkers who defend their ideas. Um, there's a couple really good books that I've come across uh, that that explain Judaism in a way that I think people today can appreciate. Uh, one of them is just called Basic Judaism. It's, it's from Rabbi Milton Steinberg. Again, that's Basic Judaism by uh, Milton Steinberg. And then uh, a person we know well, uh, Dennis Prager and Joseph Talushkin, they have an interesting book entitled the nine questions people ask about Judaism. The nine questions people ask about Judaism. So, you know, part of the uh, uh, part of our apologetic approach is uh, the golden rule: we want to treat other people's beliefs the way we want ours treated. Uh, I've given you some Christian orientation here about Judaism, but it's important to to read thoughtful Jewish people. And Joe, one more book that I want to recommend is uh, Houston Smith's The World's Religions. What I like about that book, Joe and Dave, is while Houston Smith isn't a Jew, uh, he writes about every religion sympathetically. And I think it's important to uh, see a leading world religious scholar uh, who, who writes about Judaism passionately uh, and uh, you know, so there's a need to understand Judaism from the Jewish point of view, but also to recognize uh, that there are books out there that really do try to be fair to, to Judaism. Joe, Dave, questions before we kind of shift gears and talk uh, about the life of Moses and uh, a little bit about uh, his relationship in terms of comparison uh, to Jesus. All good stuff. Uh, I, I think I have a quite, couple of questions, but they're premature. So uh, I think you're going to answer them. So let's go ahead. Okay. Well, um, again, to remind people, uh, if you if you haven't read my book, God Among Sages, I, I do something, uh, I think, unique there. I try to compare um, Jesus with Krishna, a central figure of Hinduism. Uh, with Siddhartha Gautama, who is the Buddha, um, with Confucius, the religion of Confucianism, and then, of course, maybe the most controversial of the great religious leaders in the world, Muhammad and Islam. So the book is kind of looking at Christianity and its relationship to these religions, also Jesus as this unique figure. How is he like and unlike these particular figures? Now, I want to do a little bit of that with, with, um, with Moses, but I also want people to recognize that, there, that there's a difference. I mean, let me, let me underscore one more time. Jesus was a Jew, and Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and Christians believe in the Jewish Messiah. And he is the Savior of the Jews, uh, and if he weren't, he wouldn't be the Savior of the Christians. So there's a there's a unique relationship, and uh, I think one thing that's different in comparing Jesus to Moses is um, it, it's hard to pick just one person who would be kind of the uh, oh how would I want to call it uh, 
it's difficult to know who is the, the most important person in the Old Testament. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Okay. Uh, so a bit about this uh, issue of uh, the Old Testament prophet Moses, the New Testament uh, Messiah, Jesus. Um, it's important to appreciate a little bit of the background of, of Moses uh, he, you know, long before he becomes the great prophet of Yahweh, you know, he's born a Hebrew, and he's born at a time in which uh, the Jews are suffering captivity, and uh, in order to in order to uh, save the life of Moses, his mother puts him in the Nile River, and uh, uh, lo and behold, the person who picks him up and adopts him is the Pharaoh's daughter. And so it uh, saves his life. It puts him in a position of, uh, of influence. And then, of course, the, the events happen very quickly. Uh, he kills an Egyptian, and uh, that leads him to be exiled into the Sinai Desert. Uh, and then, of course, uh, out in the desert, he has that remarkable um, experience that uh, we see in, in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, uh, where he encounters the Lord in the burning bush, uh, the great I am. Um, you know, when you think of Jesus' statements in the New Testament, uh, John 8, before Abraham came into being, I am. Well, this I am statement is the most sacred name of God. It's there in Exodus 3. It's even more expressed uh, in the book of Isaiah uh, you know, 43 through 48, uh, Yahweh calls himself I am. And so Moses has this direct encounter with God. And of course, I was uh, giving an interview uh, not too long ago, and people asked me about, well, what about the hiddenness of God? Well, remember, in, in the, the biblical period, God revealed himself in a unique, powerful way uh, to the Jewish people. Uh, where people had direct encounters with him. So to what degree is God hidden? Uh, again, I write about that in uh, some of the articles uh, for my blog. But here we have uh, 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 Moses being the prophet. And what comes out of that, of course, is that Moses is the great leader uh, of the Jewish people. I mean, if you look at what are often referred to as the four major events of Judaism, the Exodus, I mean, Moses goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Pharaoh. Uh, and we see in Scripture, you know, the ten plagues, uh, the parting of the Red Sea, uh, the idea that God is bringing judgment against the Pharaoh, let my people go. Uh, and Ultimately, Israel is delivered from 400 years of, of slavery. So for Jewish people, Jewish scholars, um, you know, the, the Exodus may be the most important event. If there is any event that uh, is to compare to it in terms of significance, it would be the giving of the law. And there we have Moses again, uh, where he... Uh, receives the law, the moral, civil, ceremonial law. And of course, what ethical code is, is, is any more important than the Ten Commandments? Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. I mean, uh, I know in my church, we very frequently in our, our service 
uh, we go through the commandments uh, and we ask we ask God to to incline our will to keep these laws. Uh, and so Moses uh, involved in this, and then the forty days wandering in Israel's dis- disobedience, and then ultimately the forty years. Forty years. Yeah. Forty years. I'm sorry. Forty years wandering, and then the the entering the promised land through Joshua. So that kind of gives you a, 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 an appreciation of the deep influence that Moses has. Now, here's, a, here's an interesting question. I'm not sure everybody would agree with uh, the answer, but the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, we call it the ISBE, the I-B-S-E, uh, has an article on Moses, and it says, the liberator and lawgiver of, of Israel, the most important person in the Old Testament. Now, um, similarly, it says uh, this uh, in the Isbi, it says, while Abraham may be regarded as the founder of Israel's faith, Moses is the founder of Israel's religion. So, you know, when you think about Judaism, when you think about the Old Testament, you think about, well, who are the most important people? There's a lot of people that are important. But the credentials of Moses to be able to talk about Israel uh, you know, that he was the leader of the Exodus, he was involved in the giving of the law to the Jewish people. Those those really are, uh, you know, central to the identity of, of Jews. So we can say about him, he, uh, his work, his ministry, his, his role on behalf of Yahweh, He's a leader, he's the lawgiver, he's a prophet, he's even uh, an author. Um, You know, Christians, religious Jews, Orthodox Jews, uh, uh, conservative Christian theologians and scholars identify Moses as the author of the five books, uh, the Torah, the Pentateuch. And so, uh, you know, he uh, he is a key player. Uh, in in all of this. The thing that, that to me is remarkable is that none of this would have been true of him had he not been counted as almost the next pharaoh. He was educated in all the ways of the Egyptians. He was, uh, you know, pharaoh's, uh, what, what da- the daughter's son. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really uh, amazing how God carried this out, you know, that he he had this one child uh, picked up and in, a, in an environment where all the kids his age were being killed, and he's one picked up and, and has this role because he's taken into Pharaoh's household. And uh, it's, it's just really a remarkable story. It, it really is, you know. When you when I watch some of the the Hollywood movies about this, uh, you know, it, it's it's hard to take your eyes away from it. Uh, there are yeah. movies you could watch over and over, and it's like, you know, Charlton Heston, and uh, <laughs> I, I I see certain actors, you know, and I think, uh, uh, you know, that they have certain roles. Uh, who is the uh, Who is the actor who played? C.S. Lewis and Shadowlands, um, Anthony Hopkins. Hopkins. When I think when I see him, I immediately think C.S. Lewis. You know, that's right. And these these 
these movies are very powerful and they're powerful because they're drawing on these remarkable uh, reports about these biblical uh, events. So that's, you know, that's kind of the, the context there that kind of gives you a little bit of an introduction to, to him. Uh, you know, again, many people in the old Testament, he's kind of the, the leading prophet, but boy, we could talk about David. We could talk about uh, various people. Let me see if there's a question or two, or do you want to make a comment yeah, at this point? Sure, we go? Kind of a comment uh, question. Before this podcast, I probably would have thought that Abraham was the chief um, proponent of, of the greatest leader of, of uh, the Old Testament, uh, because as you mentioned earlier, there are some I am statements before Abraham was, I am. Yeah. And then you think of the great sacrifice that he was prepared to make, uh, offering Isaac, and he did not. And then God says that your descendants will be uh, like the sand of the seashore. You know, so so I would have thought Abraham might be, but who am I to argue with the international standard <laughs> Bible encyclopedia? By the way, well, it's it's four volumes and it's right behind me. Oh it's, it's so you know, but anyway, well, I appreciate your comment on that. You know, the, the truth of the matter is, Joe, that you have every right to uh to make a different selection. And one of the reasons I probably didn't do a comparison of Jesus and Moses in God Among Sages is, uh, you know, with, with Krishna, he really is kind of the central figure. There, there, are, a lot of, there are a lot of Hindu uh, religious persons, but Krishna, yeah. Buddha for Buddhism, Confucius uh, for the Confucian religion or moral philosophy, Muhammad, um, and I, I was reticent to do it as well, because Christianity has a very different relationship. I mean, again, um, uh, Jesus was a Jew. Uh, Jesus was the, um, the, the redeemer of the, of the Hebrew people. And of course, all of this kind of brings out the, the terrible pain uh, that is in the minds of many people in looking at church history about how much anti-Semitism uh, there has been, and uh, that at times we see it in Christianity. Uh, I've talked with uh, some Jewish people who were still very angry to, to, at their view of, of Christianity. Um, uh, you know, and so anti-Semitism is something that in my mind, is completely inconsistent with being a Christian. How how would you uh, how would you condemn the Jewish people because your Messiah is Jewish? And uh, you know we get the benefits uh, that that come out of that relationship. But again, it it shows you that uh, Christian people are are not perfect. Uh, we all have biases. We all have prejudices, and sometimes religious biases. Uh, are are very very strong. Uh, so yeah, um, I don't know that I don't know that I would necessarily disagree. I might say to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, well, if Moses is one, maybe he's one A, but maybe Abraham <laughs> is one B. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, there's there's really there really is uh, 
significant number of people. And of course, uh, you know, Jesus is the is the Messiah. He is the prophet, priest, and king. So there are things involved in the ministry of Moses that Jesus come, comes along and fulfills. And so you see a close association there. Uh, Dave, question, comment? Well, just the, you know, the other person, of course, the major person is David. And he obviously plays a critical role that the Messiah is the son of David. So, you know, I don't think God just says that invertently. That's a, he, he does it because David is a critical figure in the history of Israel. Absolutely. And so it's it's difficult to necessarily identify. I think the I think the strong case that the ISB makes is uh, from, you know, in, in Judaism, the importance of the Exodus, the importance of the giving of the law, that these are such powerful events, so identifiable to the Hebrew Bible, uh, and they connect us to uh, to Moses. Well, let's, uh, there's a, a few more things I want to cover uh, before we uh, uh, end up our program here. And again, Joe and Dave will will pick up another program because there's a lot to talk about in this regard. But I do want to, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, the Old Testament prophet Moses and the New Testament Messiah. Um, uh, you know, Religious Jews view Moses as Yahweh's unique servant, the mediator with the Lord, the, the receiver of the divine revelation of the Torah. Historic Christianity refers to Jesus as the Christ or the Messiah, the meaning, meaning the anointed one who has come to earth to do God's special bidding. And so they are very different. Um, Moses is uh, he's a man. He's an imperfect man. Uh, but he seems to be almost perfect for the role that he plays. And th that's one of the great things about uh, the Bible. And I think the point that you you made earlier, Dave, that, um, you know, God, God can use imperfect people. He can take experiences where uh, people are undergoing suffering and uh, other people or they may mean it for evil, but he means it for good. Mm. Well, that's a that's a very powerful point uh, in that way. So I would say that, you know, we've got differences in terms of uh, uh, the nature. Uh, Moses never claimed to be anyone other than a mere man. Uh, he was a great man, a great leader, showed great courage and and standing toe to toe with uh, the Pharaoh, etc. But Jesus, on the other hand, uh, you know, he proclaims himself the divine Messiah, not, not just the deliverer, not just the anointed one, but a divine Messiah. And uh, again, that question of who is the Messiah, uh, Jewish people raise the question, what, what will be the identity of the Messiah? What will he do? And a lot of times Jewish people push back against Jesus because they say, you know, the, the Messiah is, is not divine. Uh, but Jesus is a single person who possesses both the divine and human nature. So while Jesus is fully human, he's not merely human. Uh, he is both uh, God and man. 
We can also talk about the, some of the differences between these two individuals in terms of character. Uh, again, Moses is Israel's wise and courageous prophet, uh, and yet he he has deep flaws, uh, like Moses, uh, uh, or like David, or like Abraham. I mean, you look at these three significant leaders in the Old Testament, they're very flawed people. Uh, and yet the role they play is, is one that God calls them to. Now, the contrast there, of course, is that Jesus is one of a kind. He's the only perfect man. Um, you know, he kept, he was the only one who could keep the law of Moses. Uh, the reason that he could serve as our savior is because he had no sin. He was completely righteous uh, and he could die uh, as a sacrifice uh, for, for sinners. Here's a, here's a quotation I, I've always appreciated by Houston Smith. Uh, again, one of the leading world religion scholars, he, he marvels and he says this, the most impressive thing about the teachings of Jesus is not that he taught them, but that he appears to have lived them. I mean, think about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, take take a take a take some time and read through the Sermon on the Mount um, in the Gospel of Matthew, for example, or Luke. Um, what's interesting here is when I read through the Sermon on the Mount, I think I, I think if I were standing there, I would have raised my hand and said, "Lord, who who could keep in all this?" I mean. Uh, how is it possible that I could live a life that would reflect this? And for Houston Smith to say, well, this isn't just a sermon that Jesus gave. This reflects the way he lived his very life. And so rather than, rather than being a sinner, um, Jesus is perfect. And, you know, that's the comparison with every other person. Um, a lot of us were, were, you know, we hear these, uh, we hear these ethical principles, and and in a good way, we want to keep them, but the re but the reality is that, uh, you know, we have broken the commandments. Um, again, just Sunday, our pastor is going through the Ten Commandments, and I'm and I'm thinking about them, you know, and I thought to myself, well. Uh, have I ever had something in place of God, you know, right at the top of the list, uh, you know, uh, and I thought to myself, yeah, me, I, I always put myself, you know, as, as being very, very, very important and, you know, taking the Lord's name in vain. Um, how, how at times we can be very reckless in the way that we do that. Um, the idea of honoring your father and your mother, I, um, boy, I was, I was just reflecting that sitting in church and I was thinking about my parents and I thought to myself, I really do try. I did try when my parents were living and uh, I certainly try later to talk about how significant they were, how proud I am of them. Um, uh, you know, two of the most patriotic and uh, care caring people I've known. And yet there are times where I was a rebellious son. 
And uh, there were times where I didn't appropriately honor them. Um, you know, and then we can go through the, the second five. Uh, how about adultery? Well, you know, Jesus tightens the screws. It, it's not just to, uh, to have a physical act of adultery, but to, but to look at a woman with lust in your heart. Wow. Um, you know, that really is something that tells us about our own, our own lust, our own sinfulness. Um, to bear false witness, how easy it is to communicate something that is not true, to engage in lying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we can talk about the, uh, the others as well, stealing, coveting. Uh, well, who could be saved? Um, without Jesus, no one. He, he, is, he is the Savior. And um, there, there is a deep connection as, as we think about that. So uh, in contrast to Moses, who is, a, who is an extraordinary person, one of the great leaders ever, but also very flawed uh, and needed a Savior. And Jesus is that, that morally perfect Savior that, that comes along. Let me touch just a, a couple more. I want to keep our eye out on time, uh, Joe, because we like to keep our programs at a, at a pace in which uh, they don't go too long. Uh, Let me just uh, stick in a comment or ask a question. One of the things that uh, I did a little, just a minor study on recently, was the idea that in profanity, uh, we in the West frequently use God's name in vain. Uh, Jesus is commonly used in a profane way. Jesus Christ, uh, you know, and of course, God is used all the time. Uh, God this and God that. What's interesting to me is that what what do people that are not in the Christian community, what do the Muslims, for instance, use as profanity? Do they use uh, uh, Allah in in their profane words? Do they use Muhammad as uh, their profane speaking? And the answer is no, they use Christ, they use Jesus. And I was curious, I didn't check about uh, the Jews in in Judaism, uh, but I think the same thing is true there as well, that they don't use, uh, you know, their great leaders. They don't say in the name of Moses this or, but they do use Jesus in a swear, profane way. Yeah. What comments you have on that? Well, I... I think that uh, one of the things that I would say to that, Dave, is there's an invisible war going on. Yes, exactly. You know, there there is an enemy, and uh, that enemy uh, motivates people to to slur and to to say the worst possible things about uh, this person, this unique Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, in the the history of uh, Judaism, uh, Jews took, uh, you know, that commandment about not using the Lord's name in vain. You know, they they wouldn't say the name of God. They would give other names. So we recognize that that plays a significant role. But I, I'm struck by the idea that, uh, you know, people people use the Lord's name in vain, uh, God, or, and you mentioned Christ, um, and a lot of times they don't even know they're doing it. Uh, 
it just kind of flows out of them. And it, it's very difficult for me to, to hear, um, uh, you know, it, it just, it just strikes me that you're, t I don't think you know who you're talking uh, about. I don't know. I don't think you know what you're saying. It's jarring. It is. It is uh, very jarring, you know, and even atheists who don't believe in God, you know, they, they, they curse God. Uh, yeah. They talk about the name of God. In a way, you could say this is a piece of evidence in support of the notion that Jesus is more than just a human being. I think that's exactly right. I, I think that um, everything, everything changes with him. He is, uh, you know, he, he, he is, he's the standard. And, uh, and I think all the more, you know, I want to take the Hebrew scriptures. I want to mine them. I want to see uh, the, the value and the dignity uh, of these, of these uh, passages. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's really what it is. So let me make one more point and then we'll, we'll stop. Obviously Jesus is different than, than Moses. Uh, uh, you know, he's unlike all of the religious figures. He has the prerogatives of deity. He says that he's able to give, he's able to forgive people's sins, not just the sins against him, but you know, my sins against Dave, Dave sins against Joe. He's able to forgive sins. Well, who can forgive sin but God alone? Uh, he says he can hear and answer prayer. Um, he is able to raise the dead. He's going to judge humanity. So we see in Jesus this unique role as, uh, as the divine Messiah. And uh, let me close with uh, a New Testament passage. This is John 1.17, uh, where John declares, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So, Joe, how about giving some of those books again, um, just so that people have uh, uh, some resources they can go to? Uh, two books that I want to recommend people read about Judaism. Basic Judaism by Rabbi Milton Steinberg. Uh, I was looking at it the other day on Amazon. And of course, Dennis Prager, the very popular, influential Jewish talk show host, uh, political commentator here in Los Angeles. Uh, I've been on a show, uh, I, Hugh Ross was on his program, even my old mentor, Walter Martin, years and years ago was on his program, Religion on the Line. Uh, uh, Prager's book with uh, Joseph Telushkin, The Nine Questions People Ask About Judaism. So two good books, along with Wynne Corsion, along with Houston Smith, uh, so, some very good works. All right. Thank you for those recommendations. And if people have not read your book, God Among Sages, which you mentioned earlier, be sure and pick up that one. You can do so at the Reasons to Believe website and go shopping in our store. In fact, a couple of people have commented on that book uh, and said the same thing. And God Among Sages is a great book. <laughs> Both of those people uh, said that very thing. Uh, that would be Chet Rohr and Evan Shrestha. So thank you for those comments. Uh, let us know your comments and questions. You can reach out to Ken via Twitter at RTB underscore K samples. 
We'll be glad to read your comment here. Get clear thinking sent to your device by subscribing to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and most podcast services. For Ken Samples and Dave Rogstad, this is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Clear Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at Reasons.org.